Welcome to the Real Estate Investors Weekender Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by the award-winning editorial staff at nreionline.com. Let's jump right into this week's top news, features, and blog posts. Hello and welcome to the NREI Weekender with your host, David Bodemer. Let's dive into uh, this week's top news. Hey, how are you doing today? I'm doing spectacular. I'm looking forward to finding out what are the big things that are going on. Yeah, so I want to touch on, we're going to try to touch on four uh, stories from that we had this week. One covers some of the latest trends in food halls and how those are spreading across the country. A second is looking at um, the use of emerging technologies in retail real estate. A third is looking at the most recent data that we reported on when it comes to cap rates for apartment properties. And then lastly, there's a, a piece we had that examined, um, that looked at a recent, the, the bidding on a recent hotel deal and what that might tell us about the investment climate for, for ho- hospitality overall. So that's, that, that's the highlights that I wanted to, um, wanted to break down. So food halls, huh? That's interesting. I thought that uh, malls were kind of on the down downslide. Yeah, I think. I mean, you know, that's that's the general story. Is that's true? That if you look broadly, the retail sector is struggling. There's a lot of closures, and actually, in some ways, the the emergence of food halls as a key component is is an organic uh, response to that. Because one of the one of the things that's that's happening is that. Food halls are becoming, uh, food is becoming a more important component for malls. It's now accounting for more square footage and a higher percentage of sales that can uh, compensate for the reduction in um, the retail sales or, or the str- or, or, or the loss of other stores. So, um, so, hmm. so it actually does, it kind of like is a dovetails with that. It, it's, it's somewhat of a response to the struggle in the retail sector. Um, I think what's Interesting. This is a lot of this report that we did is based on studies from Cushman and Wakefield, which uh, who has been really one of the the top, you know top companies to track this trend as part of their ongoing research. So in this most recent report, um, there are now 450 food halls that are open across. Well, there will be about 450 food halls open across the country by the end of 2020. That's a jump from that uh, the 120 that there were at the end of 2016. So that's almost a four-fold increase in the number of these things just from 2016 to um, to what we're expecting to see by the end of next year. So I th- that's a fairly significant growth. So then the one of the questions that I think that raises is, okay, um, are we going to have too many of these now? <laughs> How many food halls is too many? And according to, you know, we, we spoke to some experts, we, t- we talked to, folks from Cushman as well as some other retail brokerage experts and and largely they they think that they're that this is not at the risk yet of being an overbuilt you know like too much too much of a good thing yet so um that there is enough and that there is enough demand and that and that because of how it does these things are actually helping um existing properties that this is basically a very a very good trend for retail it's interesting that uh that level of increase means that we're not even close to uh, to saturation. Means that there's a there's a far way for this to so go. What, what one, other things um, that came out in the article? A thing that another study pointed to uh, this one from Jones Lang LaSalle is that forty percent of customers will now choose a mall based solely on its food offerings. So that's another 
point in the favor of like looking at maybe your old food court and thinking about bringing in one of these kind of concepts instead. And similarly, they found that transactions increase by up to 25% at centers that have good food and beverage offerings. So you create, you know, one of these things where you've got all sorts of interesting vendors, or maybe it's curated by a celebrity chef, or it's just, you know, a different, different kind of experience than like what we have grown up to, grown up to um, experience at malls. This is actually then creating people are spending more money <laughs> because it's becoming a better experience by, by partly by having this. Well, just real quick though, the the celebrity chef thing that that sounds like it's expensive too. And is that sustainable to be able to maintain, you know, that sort of celebrity status to drive uh, people to the mall? Well, there. There is one one risk that some of the people we t- talked to um, pointed to um, with that is that like if you're just tied to one celebrity chef and their brand and like you know you're going to if something happens with that chef then suddenly that could hurt the hurt your entire concept and you're going to have to reprogram the whole the whole uh, food hall so that that's a risk that's you know without having a diversity of of people involved or different or different companies, you're kind of putting all your eggs in one basket. Uh, from a cost perspective, in terms of like working with the celebrity chefs, I don't know if it's necessarily any more expensive than curating these kind of things other ways. But I think part, part of the thinking is that by, by having that, you create a branding opportunity or you create, you know, there's market awareness for, for some of these high profile chefs. And that's a way to, you know, generate interest in, in this concept. So we're based in New York, and in some ways, New York City has been ground zero for a lot of these food hall concepts. We have them all over the city. There are more coming. There was one, I think the most recent one is was curated by Jose Andreas and is at the Hudson Yards. Um, I think the experience that, I can speak from my personal experience going to these things, that the changeover is part of the draw too, that like when you go to the food, you, as you go back to them, you, some of the concepts are don't last very long. So it's not going to be the same roster all the time. So that creates some more interest, but it's also just the opportunity to try cuisines or chefs or up and coming, you know, things that you can't get anywhere else. And it's become like super popular for as, as lunch options throughout Manhattan, but it's also some of them are, are very popular on weekends as destinations to go to in Brooklyn. There are a couple of things that, that, that are, that are, that are, that are, that are, that are very popular. So I, I can kind of see this thing, this trend having some legs just based on the way that it's played out here. There's been some missteps too we've had in the city. And I think that's one of the dangers that some of the experts point pointed to some of them that if they're perhaps too small or if it's not, you know, there's not enough diversity in the the kinds of food or the experience, then, then they've struggled. But uh, for the most part, that's the exception. And the larger ones, the ones that, have the high awareness, the ones that have a lot of things to offer um, are still, are, are, are pretty successful. And it seems like, you know, we got some, some time to go before we're in any, any danger of this being an overplayed trend. What about the national uh, chain food stores versus something that might be more a local and artisan? I think, you know, there's a mix, but it tends to be more of like, I think the most successful ones are, the ones where they're trying to, they're, they're finding perhaps like a local hot restaurant and like this is a way for them to, if not open a second location, have a smaller mini location for 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 people to experience what they're doing. That's that's certainly been a theme. And I think it tends more towards, the, at least the ones that, that I've personally gone to in New York City, 
they tend more towards that where it's like it's you're you're getting an opportunity to you know so and so might have a very hot restaurant in one part of Brooklyn you can't get over there but now suddenly they have this outpost in Midtown Manhattan where you can go try it so um and then based on that then perhaps based on continued success within these food halls that may fuel more expansion opportunities for that vendor and and then you've also had cases where I think people start just straight out as a vendor, you know, with a small kiosk, you know, a small setup in one of these um, kinds of properties and it becomes the springboard to open a full-fledged restaurant where they may not even have had one before. Any other thoughts on our first article today? I think that that kind of, that kind of does it, but I think, yeah, the, the, the net for me is that despite the fact that these things seem to be popping up everywhere, most people, everybody that we talked to said that, you know, that it's, that it's not, um, not problematic at this point. All right, four emerging technologies in real estate. Well, what what do we got? So this is uh, another retail story, and again, I think you know you started with with the last story talking about okay, isn't retail you know are isn't retail struggling? Um, so how can this you know so what's what's the positive? What are some of the positive things that we look to? Um, and I think this this is another another response to that, which is that this piece was looking at was just a kind of a snapshot at some technologies that may help enhance in-store experiences or help fill space at centers where there may be high vacancies due to store closures. And so just the way that technology is kind of like playing a role in, in, in helping improve the performance of the retail sector. So we didn't, didn't intend for this to be sort of a comprehensive overview of of technology in the sector, but it's more like a snapshot with some examples. And certainly, there are many, many, many more than that we could have talked about. But so, some of the category, like we, so, we kind of picked a couple of categories and looked at um, a few, uh, some t- one or two tools in each of those. So the first sort of te- technological trend is just the emergence of Internet of Things as um, and how those kind of devices within the within retail brick and mortar retail frameworks could help retailers get some insights on what customers um, where they might live, where they where they shop the most, and use that as intelligence to fine tune what they're doing. Um, so we talked specifically about a, a a tool called Pinpoint, which tracks cell phones, GPS in a given area. And it, and it, and then by doing that, the retailers can generate a whole bunch of analytics, which then could you know hopefully help them improve their performance. So that, that's that's one of the categories. Uh, and 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 again, far from they're not the only the only company that's doing something like this. A second sort of category of technology is the use of augmented and virtual reality. Um, so example there, the one example that we pointed to here is is. A tool called Virtual APT, which is um, a technology that allows viewers to move through a real estate space as if they were actually there. So it's a way to be online or uh, and get like a virtual in-store experience. Another tool in the same category is Outer Realm, which uh, can showcase completed properties in a virtual reality tour uh, built to scale. The idea is for with this one is for is to allow developers to kind of showcase new new developments to potential tenants before you know they may sign a lease. You know, it, gives, it can give them a better feel from a property rather than just looking at like a blueprint. 
The third category is broad categories, artificial intelligence. And one of the examples of this is a product called uh, iMirror, which is an iPad-like product that um, allows consumers to shop for other items while in the store and and it provides a checkout option if they add additional products to their carts. So so basically it's like while they could both be physically shopping the store and then this thing could be giving suggestions for other products or other items and that they could just add to their cart and then kind of pay for everything at once when when they when they leave a store. And then a last tool is for is called um guest and it's a platform for short-term retail uh, space sharing so the idea that and this is something that I actually I can't remember if it was maybe three or four podcasts ago we talked about this trend but it's the idea that okay if you're an emerging store and you may have some extra space within your store this is a way to kind of maybe temporarily sublease it or share it like a and and sort of like being like the, you know, an Airbnb for retail tenants. Um, so this is, I think, another one of these, a, a platform that that enables that kind of thing. So if you're a store and you have some space, um, it's a place to potentially find some smaller vendor that may want to set up shop in your store. You know, they may, there may be, there, where there may be some synergies between the two of you. And it's a way to, 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 to perhaps create an attraction or create interest um, for people to come to your store to see the, you know, to, to shop this micro tenant. And then at the same time, they'll be in your store. So maybe it'll boost your sales as well. So those were the four technologies that we looked at as part of, um, as part of, as part of the story this week. All right. Two down, two to go. Cap rates on apartment acquisitions take a slight dip in the first half of 2019. So, yeah. So, you know, we're um, halfway through the year now. So it's a good time. So now we're getting inundated with uh, a lot of the statistics about what happened in the first half of the year. And when it comes to the multifamily sector, the latest data that's come in is that cap rates uh, are continuing to go down um, despite the fact that they've, you know, been historically low levels for, for years. And there's constant, there's the constant question at this point of, you know, the cycle has been going for 10 years. Are we overheated? You know, is there too much, you know, is there too much demand? Can, can this keep going? First half of the year, cap rates continue to compress. So um, not dramatically, but I mean, they still, they still went down, which means that investors are still bidding on prices. So multifamily remains hot. I think, and we, we based that on information that we got from, you know, real capital analytics from CoStar from, a couple of the different data providers from and brokers that all sort of measure this as a consistent trend across the country. So when it comes to apartment properties, um, cap rates on infill apartment properties averaged just above 5% in the first half of 2019, which was down about five basis points from the second half of 2018. And, you know, just speaks to the speaks to the fact that that investors are still chasing these assets. One of the I think other sub trends in the story is that just given the and this is a I think been happening for a while as well is just that given the interest investors are you know given the interest given that cap rates are so tight core markets are are hard to find good opportunities so 
investors continue to try to look for to buy apartment properties in secondary and tertiary markets. So there was more volume in the Sun Belt than, than than normal, and I think we'll continue to see that happen because you know it's the only way investors can kind of meet their target return levels um, with cap rates going down the way they are. All right. The last article is Anbang bidding proves investors still want high profile hotels and big portfolios. Yeah. So this is based on, um, it's just, it's, it's kind of an interesting snapshot case study situation. Anbang insurance group is shopping a large portfolio of full service luxury hotels in the U S. Um, I think it's one of the largest portfolios to hit the market in a while. And um, there's been a lot of bidding on it. So um, from based on our reporting and, and other people's reporting that we looked at, there's more than, you know, more than a dozen different investor groups have stepped forward to bid on this portfolio of 15 properties. And we're talking about like things like Westin's and Lowe's hotels and JW Marriott's and Four Seasons. So like, you know, pretty signature properties in high profile markets like San Francisco, New York city, you know, things like uh, Santa Monica, things like that. So these are, and the, and the profile and the portfolio overall is, is going to be probably going to end up trading somewhere around $6 billion. So this is not a, a small deal. So I think like what, what, what we were pointing to with this piece is that, you know, when it comes to like the fact that there are so many people willing to bid on a portfolio that size, it speaks pretty highly of, of how investors are looking at the, that segment of the market right now. You know, people like, it's also going to be a value that um, is more than what, what they paid for these, the same portfolio in the past. So, you know, it's, it's, it shows that, that hospitality values and performance continue to be strong. And it shows that there's just a lot of interest and a lot of people with it, with the kind of capital available to chase this kind of portfolio. Anything else on uh, that last article there? Just that uh, I think what's what parts bulwark this is like, if you look at like the fundamentals for the space, average occupancy rates for full service hotels are uh, 10% higher than they are for limited service hotels. And I think there's a, another reason that this kind of portfolio may be so attractive is because there's not that it's very hard to develop these kind of properties new in, in these markets. So like these are you know, high quality luxury properties and markets where it's not going to be very easy for someone else to come along and build something comparable. So like when you get, you know, so it's, so it's a very attractive asset. It's not, it's an asset that's likely not going to, face new unforeseen competition. So I think that's those are some of the other factors which might make it so attractive for the um, investors that are that are that are going after it. And I think we could also um, you know we know some of the, the the bidders that have been looking at it too, which include companies like Brookfield Asset Management, Fortress, Fortress Investment Group, um, South Korea's Mirai Asset Management, and um, Singapore's Sovereign Wealth Fund. Those are all all some of the bidders that are going after this thing. So these are, again, you know, some fairly, fairly big names um, and fairly or fairly big fund managers that are that are chasing chasing this deal. So I think it's just, again, for me, it's it's it just stuck. It's it, for me and for us, it stuck out as you know a good proxy for um, where the hotel investment market is and tells us that 
if I think if there were other portfolios like this to go on the market, um, there would there would be tremendous interest in, in them. All right. We will make sure that we have links to all of those articles in the show notes. Anything to close out today's podcast, David? I think that's that's what we got for this week. So thank you. Thanks so much for um, for listening. Thanks so much for, for for walking me through the pieces and and um, we'll catch up with you next week. Magnificent. If you have not subscribed to the podcast, make sure you click that subscribe now button below. That way, every time they come out, the new podcast will show up directly on your listening device. And if you know somebody who should be listening to the podcast that you don't think is, it's super duper easy to share the podcast by clicking that share button. If you do also have a moment, give us a quick rating on iTunes. That always helps. And if you have any feedback, it's a great place to put in the comments. For everybody at NREI and David Bodemer, this is Matt Halloran, and we'll see you on the other side of the mic very soon. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of NERI Informa. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. 